When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Wealth, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name is Jeff Shade, and of course, I'm just here to ask the questions for you, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Adrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear it as always. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Thank you for joining us here. We've got another fine show lined up for you today. On today's show, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people consider doing if they're living in a state with a state tax, and that is moving to a state that does not have a state tax. And we'll talk about the pros and cons of that. Also, we'll talk about income tax deductions, credits, and deferrals. It's going to be a tax show for the most part. Also, we'll be talking about why you may want to pay more in income tax now. Interesting topic. And then investment, real estate, ownership classifications. That's going to round out our four there. But first of all, Brian, let's talk about moving to states with no income tax. First of all, I think there are about nine of them that don't have a state income tax, right? Yeah, I'll name off the states uh, just to get us started here. The states with no personal income tax are Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming are the states that don't have an income tax. Uh, New Hampshire doesn't tax earned wages, that kind of thing, but taxes you on the rest. But again, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming are the states with no personal income tax. And I would imagine that most people, when they're thinking of moving to a state with no tax, they think, well, my tax obligation is going to be a lot less than it is here in this state that does have a state tax. But many times, not the case. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about taxes in states, because I, I wanted to address this topic because it comes up a lot in conversations that, that people are talking about moving to a particular place because of the tax burden. And I caution them that they have to figure out where they're paying their taxes because every state's going to get their taxes one way or another. There's a lot of ways they can get their taxes. So someone might say, hey, I'm moving to Washington because I hear they don't have an income tax there, but they have a business. They come here and they learn about, well, what's this B&O tax? I just paid $50,000 on this year. I thought you guys didn't have an income tax. And boy, your property taxes are high and your sales tax is high. And gee, uh, uh, my friend just passed away and he had to pay all this estate taxes, state of Washington, that you wouldn't have paid back home. I wish I never moved to this state. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, uh, exactly. I mean, there are taxes everywhere. So it's uh, one of the things we we do want to concern. Now, of course, on the outset, it sounds great moving to a state with no income tax. But if income isn't the majority of where you were paying your taxes, then you have to consider that maybe that's just one of many components to figure out before you decide where you want to move based on that. And we also uh, have a long-term care tax too, right? Oh, we got a long-term care tax. We got all kinds of taxes that other states don't have. The B&O tax is the big one. My business pays you know, well into six figures a year on something. And people go, what's that? Business and occupation tax. It's a tax for the right to do business mm-hmm. in the state on your gross proceeds, whether you make a profit or not. 
That's even worse than an income tax. At least an income tax says I'm going to tax you a percentage of your net profit, what you grossed minus your expenses after paying for everything, and what's left I'm going to tax you at a certain rate. So let's say that you had a business that grossed a million dollars and had a 15% profit margin, and their their income was 150000 and the tax on that was 10%, like it is in many states. So uh, they might pay 15000 in tax. Well, I'm going to pay more than 15000 just on the B&O tax, because I'm getting taxed on the full million. And so I'm like, wait, you tell me I don't have a corporate income tax. However, I paid more tax than I would have if I was in a state with a corporate income tax under that scenario. Brian, when you figure in all the taxes that you pay and you add it up here in Washington State and some of the other states, too, that do not have a state income tax, at the end of the day, when you add it all up, is there really any tax savings most of the time overall moving to a state that has no state income tax? Well, there can be. There absolutely can be. However, you also have to consider some other factors, like some of the states I I read, uh, Alaska and uh, Wyoming and South Dakota. Uh, There's three states that don't have uh, income tax, and they have lower taxes otherwise. You're also going to spend a lot more money, though, on heavy coats and snow boots and other things. So you do have to consider, you know, some people talk to me, oh, I'm going to move to one of these states because they don't have an income tax. I'm like, well, are you going to be happy in South Dakota? Are you going to be happy? Well, no, I hate the cold. Well, (laughs) you probably don't want to move someplace that you don't want to live just because you think you're saving some tax. So there's another consideration. I'm not saying don't find a place that you feel more comfortable with your taxation, but don't let that be the, the, the reason why you move to, to a particular state. So you got to figure out your overall expenditures, and taxes is just one part of that. Taxes, of course, uh, many times is the largest expense that you'll have in retirement. But when you figure that, you know, you're not going to be paying state income taxes, but you will be paying things for like tire chains and coats and that sort of thing. I mean, inordinately high air conditioning bills, if you're in Nevada and, you know, some of those places like that, it all washes out in the end. If someone is moving to one of those uh, state tax-free states and all they have is, you know, Social Security, maybe a pension and a few minor investments, can it make sense for them financially to move to a state like that? Well, yeah. I mean, again, that's that's one of the things. Like if you're in the state of Washington, for instance, and you're a high W-2 wage earner, that's a great state for that because you're not paying a personal income tax and you don't pay the business and occupation taxes. It's not your business. Whereas, you know, I've, I've had people move to like Texas and or Florida and, you know, okay, there's no income tax. But I remind them they weren't going to pay much income tax regardless because maybe, yeah, maybe they're only getting Social Security and, and most of their investments are in tax-deferred accounts or capital gains or that kind of thing, and they they don't really have a high taxable income on their Form 1040, so maybe it didn't make that much of a difference. One of the uh, interesting scenarios I've I've run through, though, is uh, I've told people that live in the state of Washington that have a pretty high net worth. Maybe it's below the federal exemption, whatever that is at the time. But in the state of Washington, they'll put an estate tax at a very, very low threshold. We have one of the highest estate taxes in the nation. 
it starts way earlier than virtually every other state, and maybe Oregon's even worse than us. But we're we're right at the right at the bottom of the list. And so I tell people, if you start feeling bad physically, uh, think about moving to another state where that doesn't have the estate <laughs> yeah. tax. Because if you take up a residency there and and you live there when you pass away, then you wouldn't pay that Washington estate tax. Just kind of tongue in cheek, but there is some. I I have had clients move out of the state of Washington because they're they're looking at a a many many hundreds of thousands of dollars savings uh, when they pass away someday in estate tax by moving to another state. And here in the state of Washington, too, you were talking about heavy coats and, uh, you know, air conditioning bills in hot states here in the state of Washington. Even though we don't pay a state income tax, you have to figure in the cost of having an umbrella around you at all time in every car, <laughs> raincoats and boots and all that sort of thing. But it only does rain once a year here, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It only rains <laughs> once. I always tell people when I travel, it only rains once a year in the in the Seattle area. <laughs> Unfortunately, it starts in October and ends in June. So, uh, but uh, tired old joke, but it, it, it seems to keep working. But yeah, I mean, it's you also have to consider a cost of living too. Yeah. So, you know, there might be a state like Idaho and they have an income tax, but it's not very high. And maybe their cost of living is really low. And, and on other things, you might go, well, overall, I, I'm not going to pay as much if I move there. Uh, it used to be you could buy an inexpensive house and live in a great place. I, it's one of the fastest growing real estate markets in the country and has been for a while now. Places like Idaho and eastern Washington, Montana, that, you know, Utah, uh, these places, the prices are just going ballistic. But one of the things you have to consider is your overall cost of living and overall tax burden. Compare those two because it's more than just the one component, personal income tax. Yeah, we're talking about Idaho. I read that Boise was the least affordable city in the country. And they figure that by figuring out the uh, average income of the uh, local residents versus the price of a house. Yeah, things have gone up there quite considerably. So if you're thinking about moving to Boise to save a little money, you better think again. Speaking of working, Brian, you know, these days many people are working remotely. You don't have to go into the office. And a lot of people have thought about, well, you know, I have a job here in Washington, but I just sit at home and work. I'm going to move to another state that doesn't have any state income tax. But that really doesn't work out for them very well, does it? Well, yeah, you, you got to be careful about where you're you're at because different states, they all want to tax you. So uh, we joke about uh, California. They want to tax everybody. I mean, if you fly over their airspace, they right. want to, oh, were you working on your computer when you flew from Washington <laughs> to Cancun? Because we want, we want to tax you for those five hours you were flying or two hours you were flying over our state. You know, it's, it's uh, you do have to be careful about uh, where you're at because different, different states, you know, if you're a part year resident or if you're there more than six months, they, they might want to drill you on, on your income tax uh, to that state. So you do have to be concerned about that also. But, you know, certainly with a lot of people being able to move, I, I think there's going to be a lot of, I already know there has been a ton of relocation of people from high tax states like California and New York. We know people are moving uh, and businesses, people and businesses are moving out of there like crazy because uh, they're going, well, we can work anywhere. I was recently uh, speaking in Charlotte and, uh, you know, the banks have all, most of the banks in New York are are moving to Charlotte. That's Mm -hmm. the new banking hub. It's not New York City anymore. And even the streets there were relatively empty during the work week and the restaurants were closed or relatively empty. I'm like, what's going on? And then I was reminded that bankers don't have to work in an office. They can work from home. 
Brian, none of us here have a crystal ball, but I know that, uh, you know, you deal with people all the time about their tax situations. In your opinion, and again, this is just an opinion, do you think that Washington state will ever see a state income tax? Well, they're already putting one into place. Uh, Governor Inslee passed a capital gains tax. That's a tax on the income, the net profit from your gains. And that is the definition of an income tax. Now, supposedly it's unconstitutional, but they have passed an income tax. So I'd say, yeah, we're already there. So now we're going to have everything. We're going to have the uh, more than the trifecta. That we, we're the only state with the B&O tax. We'll have the income tax, the capital gains tax, high sales tax, a property tax, the long-term care tax. We're, we're going to, you know, we're on our way to, there's a couple states that everybody knows are hideous for taxes, New York City, because they have the New York City tax, the borough tax, the state tax, LA, you know, California is terrible. They got the worst, uh, terrible taxes there too. We're going to be joining them. uh, So then when I say looking at your overall tax burden, uh, we'll be right up there with with those states. Well, you got to pay to live in paradise. Is a state with no income tax better or worse for your finances? Well, the answer is a definite maybe. If you want to know more about income tax and states with no income tax and whether it makes sense for you, you'd like a complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial review, call 844-MADRONA, 844-M-A-D-R-O-N-A, or request your review online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll be right back with more of our show after this. Tired of getting only half the story? We've got you covered with the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we'll be talking about the differences between tax deductions, credits, and deferrals. And Brian, those are three different things. So let's start off with an explanation of each of those. How does a deduction differ from a credit and a deferral? Well, Jeff, how many times have you heard, but it's a tax write-off? Oh, yeah. It's a write-off. Go ahead and spend it. It's a write-off. You're just writing it off. Well, uh, a write-off, if it's a deduction that you can claim on your tax return fully, then the write-off is only worth whatever your marginal tax bracket is. So if you're in the 12% bracket and you spend a dollar on an ex- a deductible expense, then like, let's say property taxes, let's say you're itemizing, then if you spend a dollar, then you will be losing 88 cents because you're only going to get 12 cents back from the IRS. I mean, as a the tax refund on your deduction. Similarly, if you're in the, say, the 39% bracket and you spend a dollar, you get 39 cents back. So it only costs you 61 cents in that case. So a tax deduction is only worth what your marginal income tax bracket is. And I might want to point out, too, when people say it's tax deductible, I'm going to write this off. They have the mistaken idea that if they spend a dollar, that they're going to be writing off a whole dollar from their income taxes. But that couldn't be further from the truth. That's right. That's that's what's called a credit. Now, a tax credit is a dollar. A tax deduction is just your marginal bracket. So if you got a tax credit and they say, well, the tax credit is 10% of the purchase price of an electric vehicle or whatever, and, and the vehicle is hundred grand, well, the credit could be $10,000 in that case, and that is dollar for dollar. So credits are dollar for dollar. But everything I'm going to talk about also is dependent upon certain things. Like you might say, well, I get a tax credit. Yeah, but your tax credit might max out. Oh, I heard that, you know, if I if I put on uh, solar panels or whatever, I, I get a tax credit of X percent. Yeah, it might be on the first $600 or whatever it is. And, and 
and you don't get the whole amount. Uh, or, gee, I get to write off my property taxes and mortgage interest and charitable donations. Well, if you itemize your deductions, really, it doesn't really help you out if your itemized deductions aren't higher than your standard deduction in this case. And so, oh, excuse me, I really didn't get any difference on that? No, you didn't. I thought you said I get the marginal rate. Well, that, you know, it depends. Depends on whether you're taking the standard deduction instead of your itemizing your deduction. So there's always, with all of these uh, analyses, uh, there there are, you know, I have to say it depends because everybody's tax situation is different. Their marginal tax bracket's different. Uh, another example is uh, I read about all these credits. Well, you know, I have a su- successful business and make a good income, and I get phased out of everything. It's like, I don't get it. Maybe my neighbor gets it, but mm-hmm. I don't get that one. And so... Tax rules are so complex, you can't just say, I get X benefit from spending Y. Well, you're a CPA, and that's why CPAs are worth their weight in gold when it comes to these sort of things. So tax deductions, credits, deferrals seems to be somewhat self-explanatory. Yeah, deferral means you're just putting it off. Now, there's deferrals, uh, let's say your IRA accounts, your 401k accounts, those are tax-deferred accounts. And someone's going to pay tax on them someday. Uh, whether it's you during your lifetime or if somebody inherits those accounts, then they will pay income tax. But it, it can be at different rates. I mean, you might be at a very high rate when you pass away and then your kids inherit it and, and they might be at a much lower rate. And so uh, the rate of tax even on that changes. Now, there's a different kind of deferral. If, if it's a non-IRA account, you might be deferring gains like through a Section 1031 exchanges and, and Delaware Statutory Trust, knowing that someday you'll, when you pass away, you get something called a step-up in basis, and then the people inheriting the asset can sell it tax-free. So there's another thing. I got tax deductions. I got tax credit. I got tax deferrals. I got tax-free. I got different marginal rates. I got retirement versus non-retirement. You know, there's a lot of different factors that go into figuring out what your taxes might be. And the strategy with using a deferral, I would imagine, and I think you alluded to this, is just you're going to try to defer taxes so that you can pay them in a more favorable tax bracket. Yeah, now we're going to get down to the basics of tax planning. Uh, If you're going to have taxable income, and let's say you have a retirement account, you know someone's going to get taxed on that, or other kinds of income, maybe a deferred compensation or whatever. The key to all of this is level loading your tax brackets. So uh, if I've got a, you know, just pick a number, a million dollars to make over the next 10 years, I probably want to make it 100 grand a year because if I do all million in one year, I'm going to get nailed. I'm going to pay it a very, very high bracket. You know, if, if, if a married couple is making 100 grand a year, their max bracket is 12%. Whereas if you pull that all in, you, you, you might be in the 40s or whatever the bracket is at, your, at the time that you take it. So spreading that money out, uh, level loading your, your taxable income is, is extremely important. And especially in a year where you might have a loss or, or really low income, maybe you retired the prior year, that might be a great year to do a Roth conversion and pull some, some you know, taxable income in uh, that was previously being deferred. We're talking about tax deductions, tax credits, and tax deferrals with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. So let's go back. Brian, let me ask you this. Which is worth more, a $10 deduction or a $10 credit? $10 credit because credits are dollar for dollar. Deduction depends on your tax bracket. Okay. Will deductions increase my refund? 
deductions may increase your refund. Depends on whether it's, uh, uh, you know, for instance, some people say, gee, I'm going to go out and write this meal off. It's tax deductible. Well, only half of it's tax deductible. And then you go to the country club, you go, oh, they're just writing that off. What do they care? Well, no, actually, that's non-deductible. There's actually tax code saying you can't write off country club dues. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it, it really depends on your situation. What happens if your deductions are higher than your income? Well, then you can have a net operating loss. Now, certain deductions, uh, like itemized deductions, certain ones may not create a net operating loss. But if you have a loss from a business where your deductions were higher than your income, then you can maybe potentially even carry them back against uh, income from prior years, get a refund, or carry them forward and offset income in the future. Brian, let's use an example here. Bill and Jim each sold some real estate. I mean, they had a similar goal, but they came up with a different outcome. Yeah, so let's. I want to do an example on that uh, related to real estate. So let's say that uh, Bill and Jim, they, they both... You know, they've been hearing about things, you know, they're tax advantaged and, and they didn't, uh, one of them didn't really pay attention to the difference between a deferral, credit, re, you know, tax-free, whatever. But he heard about these opportunity zones. He's been watching the news and he hears, oh, opportunity zone, opportunity zone. I, I, I want to do one of those. And okay, that's fine. And, and then uh, that was Jim. And let's say Bill decided to do a, a 1031 exchange. He'd maybe gone to a seminar and heard about 1031 exchanges. So they they both sold real estate with a substantial gain, and but they took a slightly different route on on what to do with the money. They both wanted to go into passive real estate, and they did that. Both the Opportunity Zone and the Delaware Statutory Trust investment were into passive real estate, but they had a very different tax outcome. Now, the different tax outcome was that when you go when the the one person put their money into the Opportunity Zone, they only deferred their taxes. So all of the gains from the sale of their substantially appreciated real estate were going to get taxed. They just got to put it off for you know a number of years. But there is a cliff that you have to pay the tax. And a lot of people, well, I thought opportunity zones were tax-free. Well, no, the reinvestment into them can be if you hold it 10 years, but your original gain is not tax-free. It's just deferred. And who knows, that tax bracket might be even higher. If they raise the rates on capital gains, let's say it was you know, 20% when he sold it, and it's 30% in five or six years when he had to pay the tax, well, tough. You're going to pay a higher rate. And, and so he's, he's going to be very disappointed to find out that all he got was a tax deferral on that, not a, not a tax credit or tax-free or anything. Now, the person with the 1031 exchange also has a deferral. But that deferral can keep going on and on and on until he passes away, gets a step up in basis, and his heirs and or his spouse can receive that asset now tax-free. So tax-free just kicked in. So now we have two situations, both people selling substantially appreciated real estate, both going into a tax-advantaged passive real estate program. One of them is going to have the objective someday of having no income tax ever on the gains from the sale of his original real estate, and the other one just put it off for a number of years. Brian, many people listening to the program have more than one job. Let's say that they have a primary job and they get a W-2 and the taxes are withheld from there. They really got no problem with that, but maybe they have a side job. Some people, you know, drive Lyft and Uber. They have any number of things that they do as sole proprietors. They're going to fill out a Schedule C. You talked about that standard deduction of, and I think it's around $25,000 as of the recording of this particular program. 
even though they can take the standard deduction on their main tax return, they are able to also deduct things from their 1099. Yeah, so you can fill out a Schedule C and report the income from your side business, and then you can claim deductions without regard to the standard deduction. You know, if you have office expenses or, or inventory costs, you know, of a product or, or whatever, those are those can be deducted on your Schedule C regardless of whether you're itemized or not. So that is separate. That's a different kind of deduction from an itemized deduction. Again, itemized deductions, yeah, your first uh, mid-$20,000 for a married couple don't count. And so uh, it's only the amount above that, but that is not the case for a sole proprietor uh, business. We're talking about income tax deductions, credits, and deferrals with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, questions about this topic, 844-MADRONA is the number to call. You can also use that number to get your no-cost, no-obligation financial review. If you have at least $500,000 or more to invest, you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, call 844-MADRONA and request that review, or you can request it online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll take a break. Be right back with more of our show after this. You can't build a house with just one tool, and you can't plan for retirement without an integrated, comprehensive strategy. If you want to get more information on the Madrona bundle of services, call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now, back to more of Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about why you may want to pay more income taxes now. And Brian, you know, effective tax planning should be done with a long haul in mind. Eliminating taxes in a single year may have a detrimental effect in future years. So Brian, why would you want to pay more taxes now than you would in the future? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why you may, and this may be a little confusing for some people because they're going, well, you're the CPA, you're supposed to tell me how to get out of taxes. I'm like, well, that's easy. There's a couple ways you can get out of taxes. You can not ever earn anything and have no investments and quit work. You can move to Somalia. You know, there's, <laughs> there are ways. But for most people that are doing well financially, they're making uh, money. They're going to pay taxes. There, there's no way around that. And I know that a lot of the news broadcasts say people aren't paying taxes. I, I don't know that that's really true. I mean, I kind of own a CPA firm. I know that people that make money pay taxes. Now, it's just a matter of at what rates or there are sometimes you can defer or, or, you know, have some tax planning opportunities. But for certainly certain kinds of income, there's no way around it. It's just but if you can have some uh, control over the timing and how it's taxed and when it's taxed, you can uh, certainly lower your tax bracket. Is that a really important tax strategy, Brian, is when you pay your taxes? It's hugely important because, you know, there's a number of examples that, that we can go over here. And I wanted to start this discussion with the two different big types of income that I see. Because people are coming to me often, they go, well, yeah, I've got this job, I make a lot of money, how can I get out of taxes? Well, that's pretty tough. You've maxed out your 401k and and so forth, and there's not a whole lot. Well, can I just you know put some money into something? I said, well, you can give it all away and and deduct some money for charitable contributions, I guess. But even that won't get you out of your taxes completely. So uh, there's there's the taxes on money that you've earned. You're earning as you go. It's very difficult to shelter that. That's the first wave. I mean, most of us get our initial seed money for our lives or for our investments from what we earn 
working somewhere, either at a job or in our business. It's what you do after that, after you've paid that tax, then you reinvest it into things. That's where you have a lot more control over how you're going to be taxed someday. But that first wave of just earning money is very difficult to get out of taxes. So, Brian, what are some of the main reasons that people want to pay taxes now versus in the future? Yeah, well, one of the big reasons there is that you think rates are going to be higher in the future, and you have some control over when you take that income. So uh, certainly it's easy to control an IRA. Let's say you're, you're in retirement and you know that you're in a very low tax bracket year. You just retired last year. You haven't you haven't been getting income from other sources yet, but you're going to start turning things on. You're going to you're going to sell some property and do a DST. Your income's going to go up there. You're going to start taking some annuity payments. You're going from your IRAs. You're going to you're going to you know start taking a bunch of income in. And so you might be going, wow, I'm at the zero or twelve percent bracket, and uh, in future years I'm going to be in the thirty something percent bracket. Maybe I'll take some money out from future year income that I was going to pay tax at a high bracket and put it into this year where I'm only at the 12% bracket. So that there's, an uh, again, that discussion point of level loading your income taxes. By moving your income around, uh, you can take money out, hopefully, if you can, if it's the right kind of, of taxable income, you can hopefully spread it out so that all of your income is taxed uh, taking advantage of the lowest brackets. Brian, most people have heard about the Roth. Is using a Roth a strategy to pay taxes now versus in the future? Yeah, I mean, a Roth conversion can be done in this case. Uh, I mentioned uh, maybe a, you had a business that had a loss and or uh, and you're at least age 59 and a half, or you just retired and your income's really low. That's a great time to look into a Roth conversion because you're going to pay tax on your IRA someday anyway. You might as well convert them in a year where your rate is really low. And so that's, that's an example of that. There's also the examples of the timing. There's certain taxable events that we control. Again, wages isn't really controllable. You want to work and earn as much as you can. But uh, the timing of the sale of your real estate or your stocks or your business, uh, the timing of when you take IRA distributions, Roth conversions like we just talked about, as well as other income tax deferral strategies like uh, 1031 exchanges and 1035 exchanges on on insurance contracts, those kinds of things, they can all play into the, the planning around when you're going to take taxable income, if you're going to take it, are you deferring? it? Are you going to try and get the step up someday? Uh, All of this comes into play when you're doing tax planning. We're talking about why you may want to pay more income tax now with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, can you choose when to take certain tax deductions? Well, yeah, that's a little tougher. Um, You can, let's say you want to take the Section 179 deduction on a heavy vehicle and then you've decided you're going to do it, but Gee, I could either buy it in December or I could buy it in January of the following year. And you get to choose which tax year it's going to drop into. So, And certainly people on the cash basis, uh, if they have a business and they're on the cash basis of reporting, it's when they, they pay for something is when they get the deduction. So there is some uh, leeway on the deduction side. Most of this discussion has been about the income side. But, yeah, there's absolutely – that's, a, that's a, a great thing to bring up. There, there can be some 
some wiggle room on the expense side of things. Brian, can you bunch deductible donations in this year or double up for next year? There are some great charitable gifting strategies related to that where you can do a donor-advised fund uh, where you bunch up many years of deductions that maybe were getting kind of watered down with your standard deduction and you weren't really getting credit for them, but you bunch them up all in one year and do a donor-advised fund, then you get a big deduction in that year. And you want to do that in a year where you think your tax marginal tax bracket is higher than other years. Brian, can you give me an example of some of the things that we've been talking about here? For example, Joe had a windfall of taxable income during the year. Yeah, so uh, as I just mentioned, he could uh, bunch up his charitable donations in the current year. And maybe he thought, okay, over the next five years, I was going to give 20000 a year. Uh, but I really wasn't getting much of a tax deduction because I don't have a mortgage anymore and I don't really, I don't itemize. And so it, I give the money away, which is great, but I, I don't get any benefit from it on my taxes to, to speak of. Well, he could bunch up maybe all five years at once, put 100000 into that donor advised fund. He could also, uh, as I mentioned, the, the Roth conversion, maybe the following years, his taxable income is going to be back down low again. So you'd want to do that uh, bunching up in the year where you had the windfall and maybe do a Roth conversion, wait till the next year to take any money out of your IRA in that case. And, you know, just again, we're, we're just kind of level loading, taking advantage of, of the different tax brackets that are going to ebb and flow um, or, or trying to get uh, to a place where maybe some stuff will be tax free someday. So it's, it's, you know, tax planning isn't, isn't about, and I did want to mention this this, this point. A lot of I've seen a lot of things out there, the power of zero or uh, that your you know your goal is to get out of paying income tax. Um, that's not realistic unless your income's just really low. You don't have a lot of financial resources, then it's fine, okay. But I'm I'm talking about people that have you know higher financial resources. That's that's not realistic. People don't get out of paying income tax if they make a lot of money, or um, you know it's it's just not realistic. What they're talking about is fixed indexed universal life policies. So that's a way to invest. You know again after you've earned money and you have money, you pay your tax, then you can invest your money however you want. So let's say you invest in a fixed index universal life. That is a way to potentially create tax-free income in your retirement and tax-free death benefits, which are, you know, tax-free in the the tax code. And so that is a way to do that. But certainly nobody, well, nobody should, and especially in my industry, should be telling somebody to put 100% of their assets into a life insurance policy. It may be appropriate for somebody, but it's not for everybody. Brian, in your career as a CPA and a financial planner, a financial advisor, have you found that most people People do not take advantage of all the things that they could insofar as taxes go in this strategy. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, the more you know about it, the, the better you're going to do. It's like anything. Uh, uh, if you know something about it, you're, you're not going to make certain mistakes that other people would make. And so it's, it's not every year that you have the opportunity to uh, have a, make a big difference. I mean, if you're working at a job and that's what you do and you're investing your money, you, you probably don't, there, there's probably not a lot here, but certainly in retirement, uh, there may be. Uh, so we run a ton of tax estimates for people to kind of figure some of this stuff out. And uh, so that's that's really uh, important to, to understand is that, uh, again, it's not something you have to do every, oh, I got to do tax planning every month. No, but uh, taking a look at your situation over a course of years, tax planning is a multi-year kind of process. 
to where, okay, what does my next several years look like? And if I'm going to make a big decision where I control the timing, that's when I want to think about, okay, when should I make this happen? We're talking about paying taxes now versus later with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, questions about paying taxes now, call 844-MADRONA. Ask for your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial review. That is among the things that will be talked about there in that review, which will lead to a plan if you choose. 844-MADRONA is the number to call. You can also request your review online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back with more of our show after this. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial Services at 844-MADRONA or visit them at madronafinancial.com. Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about investment real estate ownership classifications. And Brian, there are many different ways to own real estate. There's active real estate and passive. Those are the two main categories. So let's start there at the beginning. Active versus passive. What is the difference? Yeah, well, first off, active versus passive. On active real estate, you are ultimately responsible as a landlord. And so those are kind of um, the two areas that people are typically invest in real estate. They're either very active as a landlord or active would also be uh, you've hired a property manager, but you're still ultimately responsible for decisions. And passive real estate generally indicates somebody else is responsible for decisions. So with active real estate, I mean, who is that best for? I would imagine younger people or people who just have time. People that are good at it. It is hard to do to be a good uh, landlord and, and know what you're doing in real estate it is a skill set that not everybody possesses. So uh, not everybody should be an active uh, landlord in real estate. Or at least uh, if you're not good at it, hire a good property manager or, or a good real estate consultant. Now, some of the, the different uh, ways to own real estate is, again, you can own active real estate. You can have a real estate in something called a tenancy in common. And uh, where what that is is basically it's a group of people that own real estate together. The problem has been with the, the tick, the tenancy in common, is that every member has veto power over every material decision. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't get 20 people to agree they like chocolate. So how are you going to get 20 people on board with a real estate decision, uh, you know, on a major real estate decision? And and what if one of the members is 93 years old and doesn't answer his emails anymore? You know, it's like, oops, uh, you're not even getting a decision from that person. So that that can have an issue. Uh, There's uh, publicly traded real estate investment trusts. So you're buying, again, into a pool of real estate um, most of the time, the publicly traded REITs uh, were from real estate that's been purchased in the past. And so these REITs, they collect money. You're investing in that organization that goes out and buys real estate with the money. There's something called private non-traded REITs, a little bit different than public traded REITs. Uh, they're generally smaller in size. They're not as diverse as a publicly traded REIT, and they may be more illiquid, but they're, they might be more specific as to the type of real estate you get to purchase with those. And then there's uh, also something called the Delaware Statutory Trust, as we talk about uh, often, and that's a, a passive real estate investment that happens to qualify for Section 1031 exchange. 
Brian, here in the Puget Sound, we have enjoyed some great increases in the value of real estate over the past few years. If you are owning active real estate, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good idea. But as you said, you're involved with everything, all the toilets, the tenants, and the trash. So I think that answers my own question. What are some of the reasons uh, that you would not want to get into active real estate? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big reason there is that uh, maybe your time is better spent doing something else. Uh, that was the thing for me. I, I tried being an active landlord. I bought some rental houses. It just wasn't my thing. I can't fix anything. I didn't get great tenants. I didn't know how to screen them right or whatever. I'm just maybe luck of the draw. And my timing wasn't even all that great. It was a long time ago and the, and prices were pretty depressed for quite a while. So, um, but, you know, recently with, uh, again, as you mentioned, with uh, real estate prices going up, uh, most people uh, feel pretty smart about their landlording abilities. Uh, of course, when you ask them, they say, well, yeah, but I haven't raised rent in 11 years because I'm I'm afraid I'll lose my tenant and they're, they're taking care of the place. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine, but uh, maybe your rate of return isn't that great uh, on that particular investment. But we have seen a lot of appreciation, so certainly uh, that can change over time. You might like being a landlord in your 40s and 50s, but not so much in your 70s and 80s, and you might want to get into passive real estate at that point in time. Brian, is it a misconception that there is more profit, there's more gain potential in active real estate than passive real estate? No, that's not a misconception. There is, uh, you know, you can hit a home run uh, on your active real estate that that you manage, that you purchased, uh, that you you did did it right. It's hard for a publicly traded read or a big investment like that to hit a home run. I mean, they're they're looking for singles and doubles to use a sports analogy, primarily because they're more diversified. They're bigger properties. You you just and there's fees involved in hiring other people to manage things. So you're not going to have the potential ups side that you would with something that you found on your own. So with active real estate, you're responsible for everything. I mean, the tenants come, the tenants go. You may have apartments, you may have homes that are vacant for a while. You got to fill them, but it does have its advantages. With passive real estate, Brian, what are some of the examples of passive real estate that may come close to the uh, upsides of active real estate, or can it even come close? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the potential upside is is not as high, as I mentioned, but the downside may not be as low, too. And it just depends on your real estate. Real estate's a funny thing. You you know, it's location, location, location. You Once you buy your real estate, it's hard to, to change it. You know, you can't just move it around. You can sell it and buy different kinds of real estate, I suppose. But, you know, often once you've made the decision whether you want to be passive or active, then it's a question of uh, if you've decided to go passive, then it's a question of how you want to own that. And as I mentioned, there are different ways to own it. It's really easy to buy into real estate. Uh, You know, you can buy a REIT. They trade on the stock market. You know, if you you can buy Apple stock or Microsoft stock or a Vanguard real estate index or whatever, you know, that's a REIT. Okay, you can buy real estate uh, immediately if you wanted to. And again, there's other kinds of ways to get into real estate. I mentioned DSTs for 1031 exchanges. Um, There's opportunity zones um, is a a type of way to get into real estate with different tax treatment. Uh, And as I mentioned, uh, private non-traded REITs, there's there's all kinds of different uh, ways to get into real estate. It just depends on what you're looking for and how you want to control. Uh, Liquidity is different with each of these. Some are much more illiquid than others. So these are all some of the factors you want to take into account. 
Brian, I've heard about these Delaware Statutory Trusts, the uh, DSTs, and it is a way for active real estate people or owners or investors to get into passive real estate. Why would someone not want to consider a Delaware Statutory Trust where there's sort of fractional owners of real estate? Yeah. So if, if you're an active landlord and uh, you're considering selling, as I mentioned, the upside is probably higher just doing things yourself. And so really, once you've made that decision to get into passive, you don't want to be the landlord anymore for a number of reasons. Maybe your cash flow isn't very good on your real estate. You're getting older. Uh, your properties are older and you have a lot of deferred maintenance. Your cash flow is not that great. You think uh, the market's topped out. Whatever your reason for selling, if you've decided to do that, and you might say, well, maybe I just want to sell my active real estate and go into a, a REIT. Or, a, or you know, publicly traded REIT or private non-traded REIT, well, that's fine, but you're going to pay the tax. And so the reason people do a DST is they don't want to pay the tax. They want to defer it. And deferring taxes can be great uh, unless you're deferring and you're going to be paying the tax someday at a higher rate. That would not be good. So most people that do the DST are people that are getting out of being the landlord on that particular property that they're selling. And they want to hold investment real estate for the long term and eventually get the step up and basis to pass on their their wealth to their spouse or next generation tax free. So a Delaware statutory trust is basically fractional ownership of properties, and they don't have to necessarily be in Washington state. They're really all over the country, aren't they? Yeah, the the DST investment, you could sell something in Washington state, and you might invest in multiple DSTs, and they might be in different parts of the country. They could be self-storage, they could be a warehouse facility, uh, a net lease property, apartment buildings, all kinds of different things, uh, depending on what's available at the time of your sale. But they could be, a lot of them I've noticed are in the southern southern states. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of DSTs in New York or California or anything like that where people are moving from. They're, they're mainly in the place where people are moving to. So the Delaware Statutory Trust involves using a 1031 exchange, which accounts for tax deferral and like-kind exchanges, but really that is a sort of a loose term. I mean, if I've got a rental home, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to have rental homes in my DST, but let's say that I've got some uh, dormant or vacant land or something that I don't want. Can I turn that into a Delaware Statutory Trust? Yeah, any investment real estate uh, can be sold that's appreciated, that you you want to defer the tax on. You can sell and do a 1031 exchange generally. Now, the where we use private non-traded REITs and publicly non-traded or publicly traded REITs, uh, you can use them in any in any regular brokerage accounts. So maybe you have an IRA account and you go, oh, I wish I could buy real estate in here. Uh, how can I do that? I can't just go buy a rental house and get a mortgage. No, that that's really not allowed. So, but you can own real estate through. Uh, REITs. And so that's a great way to to buy real estate if you have, like I say, just a brokerage account, whether it's an IRA account or a non-IRA account, you can still own real estate and not have to be the landlord. So the big advantage of a REIT, a real estate investment trust, is that you don't have to have property that, you know, you're selling in order to get into it. It's just an investment account. Why would someone not want to do a real estate investment trust? Well, like with any investment, uh, there's risk. And if you... um, you know, let's look at COVID. You might say, well, I like real estate. So I bought a real estate fund. Uh, which one? Uh, I don't know. Let me look. Oh, it's a, a shopping mall REIT. Oh, you probably didn't do so well, did you? 
Or the next person says, uh, gee, I bought a REIT that has uh, industrial parks and uh, data server farms and, uh, you know, certain other things like that or rental houses. You know, oh, you did really well. So like anything, you can do really well or really not well under the same category. It's REITs. Well, not every piece of real estate is made like the other one. Where is it? What is it in? What are the time that we're in? You know, what are the times like? Uh, People started buying online. So industrial parks went up in value. Uh, People stopped staying in hotels and shopping and shopping malls. So hotel and shopping malls weren't great REITs where other ones were great. So like anything, uh, you know, you want want your timing to be good if you're going to get into real estate. And I would think that liquidity is something that you have to consider, too, when you're getting into real estate. It doesn't sound like Delaware statutory trusts are really too liquid, but what about REITs? Yeah, that depends, too. Yeah, Delaware statutory trust is illiquid for a period of time. And uh, you don't control when it's sold. Whereas a REIT, a publicly traded REIT, are very liquid. They trade on the stock market. So you can sell it, buy it Tuesday and sell it Thursday if you want. Uh, Whereas a private non-traded REIT, they generally are more illiquid. They they have a minimum holding period. And uh, even if you've uh, satisfied that holding period, they can change their minds and say, no, we're not going to liquidate you for a period of time. So they are not as liquid. And so, well. Well, if it doesn't, if it's not as liquid, there must be something, uh, some upside you're not mentioning, Brian. Yeah, they might be more targeted into the type of real estate you want, and they might have a better upside potential. So, always pros and cons, as we talk about on this show, uh, benefits and detriments to every investment decision. And we're just trying to inform you to help you figure out what some of those are. What are some of the questions we might want to ask? We're talking about investment real estate ownership classifications, the two major: active versus passive and there are many under those as well, too. Again, questions about real estate ownership, passive versus active. You might want to go to the website madrona1031.com. That's madrona1031.com. That's going to talk about the 1031 exchange and the Delaware Statutory Trust for more information. If you want answers to your specific questions about ownership real estate and whether active or passive is right for you, call 844-MADRONA and request your complimentary no-cost financial review. 844-MADRONA or you can request your review online at madronafinancial.com. Out of time for this week, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank our listeners for joining us as well, too. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth radio show shall constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency, and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.